Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered... How does God actually feel about me? Hmm? How does God feel about me? When God sees me, how does he feel about me? You know, the Gospel of John, there are these seven uh, amazing statements that Jesus Christ makes about himself. They're called the I am statements. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with those, uh, the I am statements are basically these metaphors that Jesus gives us to communicate to us who he is, uh, his mission, uh, his life, his nature, his character. At times, he calls himself things like light. He calls himself bread. Uh, last week, we saw a little bit when he calls himself the vine. Uh, he calls himself the resurrection, but I think of, of all of them, there's one I am statement that's the most personal because here in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he isn't just giving us information on what he thinks about us, he's giving us an insight as to how he feels about us, how he feels about us. In other words, this passage this morning shows you, I think, the heart of God toward you, towards me, towards this church. And so through this, through this statement, through the I am statement, I am the good shepherd, let's explore today, this morning, how God feels about us. I want to see three things in this passage. First, I want to see who he is to us. Second, who we are to each other. And finally, who we are 
to him. Now, before we begin, a little, uh, little aside here, let me just say that I know some of you, because you're real smart folks here, this is second service, you're wide awake, some of you are keeping score at home. And you know, last week we were actually ahead of this in John 17. You're thinking, man, we've gone backwards. He doesn't normally do that, but today we are, because a couple reasons. First, I think that really no look at the Gospel of John can be complete without looking at one of these in depth what we're doing. And second, this is really going to help us set up where we're going next week and for the whole month of October. So with that, let's begin here, number one, and look at who Jesus is to us. Sub-question. Here it is. It, how, it, maybe you've ever wondered, have you ever wondered, how would Jesus, if I met him, let's say I met him on the street, I met him somewhere, if I met him, how would he treat me? How would Jesus Christ treat me? How would he act toward me if I met him bodily now? And in a sense, actually, if you've wondered that, you don't have to wonder because in John 10, Jesus tells you not only how he would treat you, he tells you how he does treat you, how he's treating you right now. Look at this in verse 14. He tells you, again, here's the I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. Now, you know if you've ever been to a funeral before, or I'll say this, at nearly every funeral service I've been to, every memorial service I've ever been to, at some point the minister, sometimes me, will begin to talk about uh, life or death or, or resurrection or passages where Jesus talks about the life that is to come or, or something about the future or the glory of heaven. But inevitably, either the deceased will have asked or the deceased family asks to have read the first line from perhaps the most famous passage in the Bible, which I think is probably Psalm 23. And when that first line, come on, uh, Psalm 23 is read, I'll put it like this. When the first line of Psalm 23 was read at, read at my grandfather's funeral, everybody breaks down. Everybody begins to cry, weep. Everybody begins to weep when they hear the words, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Why is this? I think it's because of who the shepherd is to the sheep and what a shepherd does for the sheep. Who the shepherd is to the sheep, what the shepherd does for the sheep. Let's look at these in turn. First, who is the shepherd to the sheep? Well, first of all, this tells us, this passage tells us, Jesus tells us the shepherd is the one, here's the word, who knows the sheep. Who knows the sheep? Jesus says, I know my sheep. There's a writer, author, named Philip Keller, and for many years he was a pastor. But before he was a pastor, he was actually a vocational, professional shepherd. And he wrote a book, famous book, about the many parallels between his own life and shepherding and what the Bible says about Jesus as our good shepherd. And he writes this interesting bit about the day he became a shepherd. Here's what Philip Keller says. He says, The day I bought my first 30 ewes, my neighbor and I sat on the dusty corral rails that enclosed the sheep pens and admired the choice, strong, well-bred ewes that had become mine. Turning to me, he handed me a large, sharp knife and remarked tersely, Well, Philip, they're yours. Now you'll have to put your mark on them. I knew exactly what he meant. Each sheep man has his own distinctive earmark, which he cuts into one or other ears of the sheep. In this way, even at a distance, it is easy to determine to whom the sheep belongs. Now, there's a lot in that statement. Some of you are getting real nervous about that knife bit. Not going to talk about that. All right. But what I don't want you to miss is this, the big idea. 
Keller was saying that the first task of a good shepherd is to mark his sheep. To mark his sheep. Why? Because it's his job to know who they are so he can care for their needs, so he can provide for their needs, so he can feed them, so he can protect them. He can defend them against wolves or thieves or robbers to say then that a shepherd knows his sheep is to say he has accepted the responsibility for the whole life care of those sheep. Let's just take this a step further because not only does it say that Jesus knows you, it says that he as a good shepherd, look at how far he knows you. It says that he calls his own sheep by what? By name. By name. He knows you by name. And what this is telling you is this, that God doesn't just watch his sheep from a distance, from a, you know, lazy boy, bark a lounger in the sky. He cares for you up close. He doesn't yell at you from a distance like an angry parent in the stands. No, he he wants to whisper to you in your ear. He doesn't just want you around. He wants you near. He doesn't just think of you like a number like your credit card company or something. No, he knows you. He calls you, it says, by name. By name. Is this Is this how you see God today? Or do you think of him as some cold and austere, remote figure? Maybe that's how you grew up thinking or had an experience of a father like that. Or or maybe do you see him, how Jesus actually described God and who he is as someone who wants to be up close to you, as someone who wants to know you and have you know him. See, what Jesus is telling us here, I think, is what David, King David, in the Old Testament, another professional shepherd before he went into the vocational kingship, as if you ever get sort of, you know, you choose that. Anyway, but David in Psalm 139 tells us in this famous psalm, and probably you've read it too, he says, listen, I used to be a shepherd, and I know what it means to know my sheep. To know my sheep means I knew everything about them, just like God knows us. And (coughs) look then, how David tells us that God is our shepherd knows us. This is what David is, 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 it's incredible, he tells us this. He says, O Lord, in Psalm 139, you know me. He's reflecting on God as his shepherd. You know when I sit and when I rise, like a shepherd would know when his sheep got up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, that sheep language there. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it, what? Completely. Now, this is incredible. This is showing us that our our shepherd, our good shepherd, Jesus, knows everything about us. And it's incredible. But hear me, I think it's also intriguing, interesting, different in a way. You say, well, how is that intriguing? Oh, it's intriguing because of the very next verse. In verse 5, first, David starts off telling you, God knows us. He knows us completely. He's near to us. He loves us. He knows us intimately. But look at verse 5 then. He says, oh, suddenly it changes. You hem me in behind and before. That's shepherd language. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. What's this describing here? Well, this is describing not just who the shepherd is to the sheep, but now what the shepherd does for the sheep. This is describing how a shepherd who loves his sheep, treats his sheep. And what does that look like? How does he show them that he loves them? David says, oh, you hem me in, right? And what a shepherd would do is he would corner that sheep, right? And then David says, and you lay your hand upon me. He's saying, God, I know that you love me. I know that you're for me. But sometimes I feel cornered by you. 
and like you're grabbing me. Like you're treating me roughly, throwing me around a bit. Woo. Elizabeth Elliot, the great writer. You may know who she is, the famous widow of Jim Elliot. He was a martyr. He, he gave his life bringing the gospel to Ecuador in the 1950s. And Elizabeth Elliot talks about a time after Jim was martyred that she was visiting some friends in Wales, lots of sheep in Wales. And her friends were shepherds. And being around this family and the sheep, of course, naturally brought into her mind the, the idea, all these Bible passages about Jesus and the good shepherd and all that. And as she reflected on this, she began to feel because her husband had been killed, had been murdered, that God was not a good and loving shepherd to her anymore, but rather a harsh, cold, cruel shepherd. And then she described what happened to her one day. She writes this. She, she writes one of her books said, Mary took me, it's her friend, took me to the pens to watch what John, the husband shepherd, had to do there. One by one, John seized the rams, right, laid his hands upon them by their curled horns and flung them into the antiseptic. That's what would kill the insects. A stinking black liquid. They would struggle to climb out the side and Mac, sheepdog, would snarl, snap at their faces to force them back in. Just as they were, those poor sheep, right? Just as they were about to climb up the ramp at the far end, John caught them by the horns with a wooden implement, spun them around, forced them under again, and held them. Ears, eyes, and nose submerged for a few seconds. Now, I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor rams. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment that I was getting from the shepherd that I trusted. The shepherd is my Lord Jesus, of course. He didn't give me a hint of explanation. As I watched the struggling sheep, I thought, if only there was some way to explain to these poor animals what was being done to them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for them. It is high. They cannot attain unto it. She's channeling Psalm 139. So far as they could see, there was no point whatsoever. Elizabeth Elliot saw that this was how Sometimes, not all the time, but certainly sometimes, how a loving shepherd treats his sheep. But as she noted, the sheep couldn't understand why the loving shepherd was hemming them in, cornering them behind him before, nor could the sheep understand why the loving shepherd was laying his hand upon them. It didn't feel good, but it was good for them. And David sees this in Psalm 139. He saw that because the good shepherd loved him. And David knew what it was like to be a shepherd. He knew that his shepherd, his shepherd knew him, him by name. And that sometimes that means being hemmed in. And having the shepherd's hand laid upon him. To do for him what he cannot, what he could not do for himself. And David's saying, get this, I know this, I'm a shepherd, I've done this to my sheep, but I don't get it myself, right? He's saying, God, I don't understand why you treat me this way sometimes, so we should ask the same thing. Why can't we understand this, right? I mean, we get it, we get the shepherd-sheep deal. If God's so loving, though, we ask if he is our good shepherd, my good shepherd, why don't, why don't I just trust him implicitly, hmm? Why don't I just like, hear his voice. God, whatever you promise, you know, tell me I promise to do. Why don't we just follow him naturally? Hmm? I'll put it like this. Because as this passage, as much as this passage tells us who he is, it also tells us who we are. 
number two. Number two, it shows us who we are. And who is Jesus telling us we are here? Some of you know where I'm going with this. You're smart. You picked up on it. All right. Jesus tells us two remarkable things about ourselves today. First, we're going to see who we are to ourselves. And second, who we are to one another. Here we go. Who we are to ourselves. Who am I? Morgan. Who are you? You. You. Your name. According to Jesus here, when it comes to your true spiritual condition, you are, I am, put it myself in there, I am sheepish. I am sheepy. I am like a sheep. And Jesus says this, I know my sheep. Now, so over the years, this has come up in preaching or themes or whatever. People don't like this. Maybe you're not liking this. People have gotten mad at this, like really offended at me. But they say, I am not a sheep. I am a smart, actually, I can, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And I quote the, the New Testament to me. You know, I am a smart, self-actualized, wealthy, self-made person. I am not a sheep. And I am insulted by this. Consider how thoroughly, and here's the word, how frequently the Bible uses this metaphor to describe you and me and humanity. Psalm 23, of course. We love it. The Lord is my shepherd, except that means we're a yeah, uh-huh. Psalm 95 says, For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture. And the what? Eve of his hand. Over and over in the prophets. So let me give you four. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah. God refers to himself as the shepherd of a nation. You say, well, that's just the Old Testament, right? Jesus came to make me something else. Well, okay. Jesus calls those who are following him. Luke 12, his what? Yeah, not just a flock, but little, little flock. Teensy, itsy bitsy sheep. You say, well, that was just the disciples. Well, all right. Acts, Hebrew, told you I'm building my case. Acts, Hebrews, Peter, Jude. In the New Testament, all refer to church leaders as types of shepherds whose job it is, it was, under the authority of the good shepherd, who's the overseer of all of our souls, to take care of and shepherd the flock of God. The point is this, other than the metaphor of child, of parent-child, this is the most frequently used metaphor in the Bible to describe who you are, our relationship to God, and to miss this. Here's the point. To miss this is a, to miss a significant thing a way to understand ourselves that God Almighty has seen fit in his scriptures to give to us. Isn't this interesting? Think about it. Jesus never, never in all his ministry says, I am the good rancher and I know my thoroughbreds. Now there were horses in his day. Yes, he could have said that, but he didn't. He never said, I am the good trainer and you are my prize, Blue Ribbon Westminster Kennel Club dog. He never even said, I'm the good owner. I mean, here are my cats, right? No, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And here are my sheep. I know my sheep. Why is this? Why does he say this? Well, think about it. Horses can run free. Dogs will at least come when they're called. And cats, well, they'll even stick around to use their owner for a free meal, right? Some of you cat owners, you know this. You've heard of, you've seen, you've sung songs about wild horses. There's a pack of wild dogs. There's even cats in the wild, but you've never heard of, you never read about, never will, a wild sheep. (laughs) Why is this? Well, simply put, the facts. It's because a sheep cannot survive on its own. If a sheep gets out on its own, it'll get lost. And if it gets lost, it will die. A sheep cannot groom itself, even like 
cats and dogs can lick themselves, kind of gross, but you know, they can do that. The sheep can't groom itself. Its wool will grow over its eyes. We've got a metaphor, right, about that. Until it can't see, and because it can't take care of itself, it can't see, it'll wander off, and once it wanders off, it will either die, it will get eaten, or it'll be rescued. A sheep cannot feed itself. Here's what a sheep will do. It will literally consume the grass underneath it to the point of extinction. The grass will not grow anymore and the sheep will die in that place because it doesn't know how to look for food. This is true. Philip Keller says this in his book. He says, if a sheep falls over, it will remain on its back. (laughs) Arms and legs in the air. Laying there until it again it dies or it's rescued. A sheep can't even get up off its back by itself. A shepherd, excuse me, a sheep needs, therefore, unending, comprehensive, 24-hour, whole life care. In other words, the sheep needs a shepherd. And therefore, when Jesus says, I know my sheep as much as it's a statement of his heart for us as a shepherd, it's also his best description of us. He's saying all you Americans, right? World leaders. You're not as smart or strong as you think you are. Let me give you a little thought experiment to try to help you see this. Think about it back on your life from like 10 years ago. 10 years ago, just pick 10 years ago, 2008. However old you were, wherever you were. Let me ask you, what were you like? Hmm? How much did you know then Compared to what you know now, how many of you, let me say, I'm asking you by a show of hands, the first service people resisted me about this. Don't do that. Don't be that guy or girl. All right. All right. How many of you by a show of hands, thankfully, hope, see, think that you're wiser, smarter, more humble than you were 10 years ago? Yeah. Sorry. The rest of you are saying I wasn't. Okay. All right. You're saying you're dumber and meaner now. All right. No. Well, what does that mean if you had your hands up? It does mean 10 years ago, in theory, you're, you're dumber and meaner than you are now. Right? And the same is true of me, of course. I was so naive, so dumb, mean. I was a terrible husband. You know, in theory, I'm better now, right? Don't answer that, right? I was, I'm great now, all right? But preach some terrible, certain, thank you. Preach some dumb. That thumbs up. Again, I feel sorry I, for the people around me 10 years ago. If you were one of them, sorry. All right, it was. I look back, you look back, and you think, man, I did not know what I was doing. Think, what was I thinking? The point is this, that your present self always looks back on your past self and says, oh, man, I sure needed help. Then it was so obvious. Your present self thinks of your past self as a jerk, but your present self always thinks, I'm doing great. I feel sorry for me back then, but today, ship shape, right? But here's the problem. You can see this. Your future self... We'll look back on your present self and think of your present self today as a jerk, right? Ten years from now, you look back to today and think, man, why did you even raise your hand in that service about doing better, right? I mean, that guy needed help. And again, you think my future self will think the same thing about me. You'll think, man, help him, Lord. Maybe you're thinking that now. Help him, Lord, now. What does this mean? It means, in a way, you're always a fool. You're always a jerk. You're always naive. Me too. But we always think we're just getting over it. We're just about there. We always think we know now. We've gotten over our problems now. People ought to listen to us now. That's the essence of what it means to be a sheep. We can't ever see ourselves clearly. We are utterly dependent on the grace of God. 
but never know it. Never know it. Again, you don't believe me? Grab a history book. I mean, think about when the, when the Enlightenment came, they looked back on the Middle Ages and thought, man, ignorant, backwards fools. Revolutionary War era came. They look back on the Enlightenment, fools. We know better now. We look back on them, we think, fools, ignorant. What do you think the future is going to look back on us and think? Same thing, see. You think, they missed it then, but we got it going on now. See, the metaphor, come on, of sheep, it shows us who we are to ourselves. But secondly, let's take it a step further. It also shows us who we are to one another. He calls his, Jesus says, his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, so far we've been thinking about this in individualistic terms. That's good and right. But if we stopped there, we wouldn't be going far enough. Because think about it. The, think about the metaphor Jesus gives here for himself, for his kingdom. He says there's a, there's a shepherd, uh, there's a sheep pen, and inside it are lots and lots of multiple sheep. And of course, this is, you see where I'm going here? This is where it gets really sticky in following Jesus because if there's one thing harder than just being a sheep, right? Can't take care of yourself. It's trying to follow the good shepherd with other sheep around you, right? If there's one thing trickier than just being a sheep trying to hear the good shepherd's voice, he's trying to be a good, hear the, hear the good shepherd's voice with other sheep and the sheep pen bleeding in your ears. Where are you going? Why are you doing this? You're in my way. What are they feeding us? It's your fault. I can't hear the good shepherd. You be quiet. No, you be quiet. No. The point is, there's a context of plurality here in Jesus' teaching. He's letting us know, whoo, you may be following me alone, but you're never following me alone, right? I'll say it again. You are not, we're following Jesus alone. Anything good you get from, is, from me is a miracle. It's from the grace of God, right? But we never follow him alone by ourselves. And if we do try to get off by ourselves because we're tired of the other sheep and the sheep pimp, Luke 15 tells us this. He just says, I'm like the good shepherd that goes out and brings you back. And guess what I do with you? They'll put you on a sheep pedestal. I put you back in the pen with the other sheep. Now, the problem is, and of course you saw this coming, Sheep are difficult to deal with. It seems like, therefore, there's always a problem in the pen, right? There's always, a, there's always some strife with the sheep somewhere. You hear about this. Why is that group, you know, bleeding? Or I'll put it like this. It feels like there's always some kind of tension in the sheep pen. And you know what? There always is. And you know this if you've been in a church. Because let's just ask what happens as a result of anybody just trying to follow Jesus together. It just means there's going to be tension, Sheep kind of bumping into each other here and there. You think, well, if I could have just been in that early church, Pastor Morgan, it would have been perfect. No, it wouldn't. Just read the epistles. God, read the epistles, right? They're just, they're like medicine for a pastor's soul, right? Because you know what the epistles are about. It's about Paul looking out at all those churches and thinking, tension there. Tension with those sheep in, in, in Rome, in Corinth, Thessalonica. Tension, though, let me tell you this. It's not always bad. Sometimes it is, but it's not always bad. Just like tension, tension in a marriage or that great relationship or in a friendship is not always bad. Tension's just sometimes a result of sheepy people, you and me, trying to follow the good shepherd together. Let me just give you two examples. I hope these will help you briefly of a couple just classic examples of church tensions of how we are to one another. First, I'll put it like this. Sometimes here, there's this service tension, like in church service tension. What do I mean? I mean this. As much as, for example, you think that if something is important here at Mosaic or in the church or what we ought to focus on, there is someone, I promise you, sitting a few seats over, maybe even next to you right now, who thinks the church ought to be doing the exact opposite. 
Exact opposite. I get asked all the time. People ask me, Morgan, do you know what you ought to do? Which apparently means I don't. So I'll ask, well, what should I do? They'll say, listen, for example, you should just chuck like the whole sermon thing or cut it down to like five minutes because you know what? I'm not here for the sermon. I'm here for the worship. Worship's how people really experience and encounter God. I mean, look, Jesus even said, my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. But at the same time you say that, and sometimes even the same week this actually happened, I'll have someone ask me, do you know what you ought to do? I say, apparently not. So go ahead and tell me, right? Hey, listen, worship is nice and all, but you should really cut that down or leave it out because I really love the Word. The Word of God. God's Word is primary. God made the world with His Word. And look, Jesus even said, my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Oh, wait. Isn't that amazing? Two people, both love Jesus, sit through some part, endure some part of our time together, and, and quote the same verse to show they are correct and why the other person's wrong about, here's the word, their ecclesiology. Listen, this isn't, the, this isn't an issue. This isn't a problem to be solved. It's just a tension to be managed that we always have, and I hope we always will. Let me give you another one. There's a philosophical tension churches go through. We're going through. We have gone through. We will go through. And I'll kind of call it this organic versus systemic. If you can picture these words along a spectrum and depending upon your background or your wiring or your professional experience, your gifting, or maybe your just plain preference about churches, you'll prefer that church be organized, led, feel somewhere along a spectrum between organic and, uh, and systemic, or you'll prefer it be on a certain size, and if it's not organized like that, or if it's not that size, then that church isn't just sort of, mm, I don't know, something, but it's now bad or wrong. People, you know, not so much anymore, but used to say to me for years all the time, Morgan, I'm so glad to be in Mosaic. You know, I just don't like those big churches. You know, I like to come here where it's small. And I used to think, and I finally said at one point, you know, when you come here, you, you make it bigger, right? You, you do know that about your, you and that, the, your 14 kids you brought. You're making it, <laughs> making it bigger, right? People say it's bad. Or people say, you know, a church is bad because, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like organized church. I think, well, would you prefer disorganized church? You know, like, where are my kids? We don't know. Like, it's just disorganized. You know, like, <laughs> they're out in the street, I guess. Who knows? Where's the money? We don't know. It just went somewhere. It's just disorganized is better. Like, well, okay. No, no, no. See. People like church to just feel organic. People like that, like, is it organic? They'll say because if it feels like that, it's because people who are, are led by the Spirit are sons of God, daughters of God. Or people like everything to feel super detailed, organized, because God is a God of order, not chaos. That's amazing, right? Two Christians who both really love Jesus and who want the best for the church, quoting the same Bible to affirm their preference of how they want church to look or feel. Again, this isn't a problem to be resolved. It's just a tension to be managed at every point. The point is we as sheep, sometimes I do, have a hard time really seeing this, knowing this about ourselves. And here's the point then. We need each other to really and truly grow. We follow Jesus Christ alone, but we never follow him alone. Who is he? To us first, he's our good shepherd. Who are we to ourselves? Oh, we are the ones in need of his care. Finally, though, let's ask, what does this also show us most, maybe, 
even about us. Finally, this shows, I love this. This shows us who we are to him, who we are to him. Read these verses. Look at this. I'll read it. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. Oh, but I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Oh, this is amazing. Who are we to him? Maybe to circle back to the first question, how does God, through Jesus Christ, how does he feel about us? Oh, Jesus, in telling us he's our good shepherd, we're his sheep. He isn't just trying to communicate how dependent we are on him. That's true. How tricky we are sometimes, even with each other. That's true. No, he's trying to show us how valuable we are to him, how much we mean to him, because sheep are unbelievably valuable to the shepherd, a shepherd's money, a shepherd's future. It wasn't tied up in land. It wasn't tied up in gold. Uh, It was tied up in their sheep, and the sheep were valuable. Pound for pound, they were the most valuable animal in the ancient Near East. The wool, the skin, the horns, the meat, every part was valuable. That's why there were always wolves, thieves, robbers around trying to get them, steal them, keep them, own them. Wolves were always trying to lure the sheep away. Thieves and robbers would come and call them. Why? Oh, to lure them of their own destruction, to use them or to, to profit on them, to kill them, to profit personally at the expense of the good shepherd and the sheep. You say, well, how do I know Jesus is different? You may be here, you're struggling with an area in your life. Maybe you're new to Christianity or faith or struggling in church somehow at some point. You're asking, well, how can I know when Jesus asked me to follow him? I can trust him. How do I know I should trust him when he asked me to obey him in some area that I'm not even sure about? How do I know I can trust him when he asked me? Oh, you can be sure that the good shepherd has your best in mind because of this. Remember what Elizabeth Elliot said about sheep? Remember? She said this. She says, as I watched the struggling sheep, I thought, If only there was some way to explain to these poor animals what was being done to them. She's saying, if only there was a way to make them, help them understand the love that was in the heart of the shepherd. If only there was some way to make the sheep know that everything was going to be okay in the end. If only there were a way to communicate with them. And for that to happen, for for you, for someone to truly, truly communicate with a sheep, come on, you know what would have to happen. You would have to become a sheep yourself. And that is exactly what the gospel proposes, that the good shepherd, God in Jesus Christ, has done for us. Jesus said this, And I lay down my life for the sheep. Didn't come across in the Greek here, that word there, though. It didn't cross in English, but in Greek, the word for literally means substitution. It's in the place of. I lay down my life instead of the sheep laying theirs down. 
Jesus has said, oh, I'm like a shepherd who just reverses the whole metaphor, who becomes a sacrificial lamb, gives my, I'll give my life. He's saying, I've come to give my life, back in verse 10, that yours may be full and abundant. He's saying, I'm unlike anybody you've ever met. You've never let, met someone like me. I'm not like the hireling who runs away. I'm not like that pastor who hurts you. I'm not like that parent or sibling or community group leader, that person who lets you down. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Isaiah 53 says, he was like a lamb, silent before his shearers. Why does it say he would have to be sheared? Oh, because wool in the Old Testament was a metaphor for sin. Uh, wool got dirty. Wool got unclean. This is why no high priest in the Old Testament could ever go into the Holy of Holies wearing wool. He could only wear clean, unstained linen. Oh, this is saying the same way that Jesus, our lamb, had to be sheared, stripped of everything on the cross. His glory, his power, his identity. He lost all his dignity on the cross. His relationship with God, the Father, he had for eternity. We'll look at that next week. All of that. He, like a sheep, this is saying, he was hemmed in behind him before, and the hand of judgment was laid upon him. Why? Why? Oh, because Jesus, hear me, would rather lose his life than have you lose yours. Why? So that you his little lamb, me, us, his little flock, we would know that he loves us, loves us, so that we might live. All those times in the Bible, God said, I'll be their shepherd. I'll be their shepherd. I'm like a shepherd. I'll come and be among them. This has all come true in the person of Jesus Christ. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Let me tell you, this is who you are to him. This is showing you. This is the son of God telling you how he feels about you. Just telling you, His wealth is bound up in you. His future is bound up in you. His life's, in a way, savings are in you. He's bound up his heart with your well-being. And let me just challenge you, if if this is true, and if you see this today, that means you can trust him. You can trust him. And for lay your life down before him, and maybe even for others, for others. Church, isn't he the good shepherd? Yes, Hasn't he laid his life down for us? He has. So good. It's the gospel. It's ours as his people today. Can you say amen to that? Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for showing us. Oh, this is amazing. How the God who made the stars feels about us. It's how you feel about me. How you feel about my children. It's how you feel about us, about your church, your bride, all the churches in the city, in the nation, in the world. All the people, you know, your sheep. Well, those who don't know you, you laid your life down for them too, that they would know you. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts today. We would see this. You're not like some other founder or guru or teacher who gave a teaching and said good luck. You're the Savior who actually gave his life in our place we can live.